All right. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> All right. Want to welcome those of you who are watching in our campuses today, and also for those of you who are online. Um, I'm Brian. This is Becca, and we're just thrilled to be able to share with you today as we continue on in our sermon series called Story Time. And uh, we've been going through the different parables, asking ourselves, what is Jesus revealing about the kingdom of God, about how to, how to live for him? Remember, we've been in this whole year called Jesus. That's a good theme for a church, right? It's a good theme for a church to focus on Jesus for the year. And so as we kind of wind down into the summer now, we're really focusing on how Jesus reigns, how he rules. He's the king of our life. Um, Jesus isn't just a good idea. Uh, Jesus wasn't just a good person. He was a good person. But Jesus is our king. Jesus is the Lord of our life. And we want to learn more and more what that looks like. And so today, um, Beck and I are going to be teaching out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And the, uh, the sketch you just saw, you know, isn't verbatim the scriptures, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it tells you the story of what happens in Matthew chapter 20. But I wanted to start with a, a quick story. This happened just a few weeks ago. This happens sometimes. My three older daughters were off doing something. I feel like we're in the stage of parenting where we don't know what our kids we are doing anymore. On. We don't know where they are, what they're... Never. That's an over... Don't call anybody about that statement, okay? <laughs> it's an over-exaggeration, but you understand they're off doing their things and sports and things like this. And it was just me and Bria. And uh, Bria's 10 years old, and so she, she doesn't stay home alone uh, just yet. And so I had to go run a bunch of errands. So I said, hey, Bria, and I try to make it exciting. You know, hey, Bria, you know, hey... I got to go run some errands. Why don't you come with me? You know, got to go to Tractor Supply. Got to go to Home Depot. You know, these kind of places, right? And she's just kind of looking at me, right? She's looking at me. And finally, she she says to me, she goes, what's in it for me? Right? And I love that. So, so. Yeah, can I get a toy? And my girls know, as I've told you in the past, like, if they say ice cream, I'm all in, right? So I was like, okay, here's what's in it for you. But I thought about that, and I think not just children are asking that question, but adults too. And we're probably asking that question more often than we think. What's in it for me? Hey, yeah, I'll help you move, but what's in it for me? Which, by the way, we're moving like July 14th, just in case you want to write that down in your calendar. But like, what's in it? Like, is there going to be pizza? Is there going to be lunch? What's in it for me? Hey, I need you to do a little bit of extra work here. Your boss comes for, to you. Okay, I'm willing to do that, but this sounds like a negotiation moment, right? What's in it for me? Our passage today in Matthew 20, if you go to chapter 19, you're going to see Peter asking a very similar question as Jesus then leads into this parable. And Peter comes to Jesus and says, hey, listen, we've dropped everything to follow you. And the thing I like about that statement is it's absolutely true. This wasn't a man who came to Jesus who really wasn't following Jesus and said, hey, we've left everything to follow. No, this was a man who left everything to follow Jesus. And then he says, what do we get for that? What do we get? We, we've done what you've asked us to do. Now, what do we get from that? What's in it for me? And Jesus answers, he responds this way in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters 
or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So Jesus' response to this question, what will we get? Let me summarize it. This is what I believe Jesus is saying to Peter and the other disciples. First, be patient. There is a time coming. There is a time coming where great things are going to happen for you. Be patient. Live with hope on your hearts. Second, be assured. Be assured that a great reward is coming your way. Have confidence in that. But then third, and probably most importantly, right now in this moment, be servant. That's who you're called to be. Serve one another. Take that posture. Then Jesus goes into the parable that we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 20. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. I like to call it the parable of the landowner because it's really about the landowner. Where all of a sudden there are people who are hired at 9 a.m. The landowner goes back, hires people at noon, hires people at 3 p.m., hires hires people at 5 p.m., the end of the work day. And then he pays the first workers first a day's wage because they worked a full day. And then the 3 p.m., the the noon, the 5 p.m. workers come and he pays them a day's wage as well. And you can imagine these first workers getting their check going, wow, yes, yes, he he paid me what he promised. Wait, you got paid the same amount? Wait, you got paid the same amount? Now all of a sudden this joy, this gratitude turns to bitterness and, and maybe even envy and jealousy And the landowner says, well, I paid you what I promised you. And now why are you so upset? Isn't it my right to pay you what I want to pay you? So that's a little bit of the parable. And what Beck and I want to do is we want to give four petitions to the church uh, from lessons from this parable. Yeah, and I love that Jesus teaches through parables. And we've looked at so many of these, and many of you know them if you've read through the Gospels. But he's always telling stories. So he gives you know, the, his disciples and Peter this information at the top. But then he tells a story. And these parables are meant to engage people. He says, I don't want to just give you information. I, want to, I don't want to just tell you about kingdom culture. I actually want you to be able to see yourselves in it. I want you to be able to engage with the story. And I want you to remember it. Mm. He tells stories so we can remember them more. Once we engage actively, actively engage our minds and our hearts. And so we want to do that today. Jesus is constantly revealing truths to engage. And in this particular, like Brian had said, I love that he wants to show the heart of the Father. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And so Jesus is showing the heart of the Father here. And he uses parables not just to tell information, but to reveal revelation, that people come alive. And so the first of these petitions that we have for you today is let's praise God for seeking us out. Praise God that he seeks us out. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who is good and he went back and he went back again, and he went back again, and again, and again, and he kept showing up for people. Mm. Now, when we talk about engaging, we need to engage our minds. So imagine with me, you're standing in the marketplace, and the landowner comes, and you are the first selected. You're drafted first. (laughs) And here you come now. You have a purpose. 
you have a place, you have value, you have worth, you have something fruitful to do, fruitful labor with your hands. This is what working in the vineyard for our king, our landowner is. It is fruitful work. Mm. When we step into the things that God has called us, it brings purpose and identity. It brings hope. It brings a future and a hope, good plans that he has for us. And so this is what the landowner calls these people to. But now imagine the people who weren't selected in the first draft. Imagine those who were left at the marketplace. Imagine you are that person. Perhaps you've been that person. And the landowner has come and you just didn't make it to the marketplace on time because maybe there was trouble on the home front. Mm. Maybe you just had a real difficult home life. And so that home life left you with a limp getting to that marketplace a little bit late and you show up and you realize, oh my gosh, I've missed the boat. I've missed it. What am I gonna do? Or maybe you have kind of a heavy chip on your shoulder Mm. that you're carrying with you, a lot of baggage that you're dragging with you. So you were just a little bit late to that marketplace and you've realized that you've missed it. Maybe you made it to the marketplace, but you were so busy standing in the back, distracted by the busyness of what was going on around the market, or maybe grumbling and gossiping in the back. And the landowner came and went and you're like, whoa, 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 I was here. What happened? I missed it. I missed the king. I was so distracted. Mm. I missed the landowner showing up. Or maybe you just didn't think you had a good enough voice to advocate for yourself. Maybe you just looked around and you thought, wow, <laughs> I'm not as good as that person. Mm. They pushed their way to the front and I just, ah, uh, I just, oh gosh, what's gonna happen when I get there? And I just can't do this like the other people can do it. So you just saddle up to self-pity and you stand in the back, cowering in the back and you realize I missed it. But guess what? the landowner comes back for you. Mm. You know, this is our God. He seeks us out and he circles back and he says, I know that there may be reasons why you didn't make it the first time around, but I'm back. Mm. And guess what? I'm here for you. I'm here to gather you up to myself and to put you to work in my vineyard. Mm. And then he comes back again and he comes back again and he comes back again. You didn't miss it. It's like the landowner looks at the people and he says, I see you and I know what you need and I'm here to draw you in, into my kingdom in a new way. And he shows up even at the 11th hour. Mm. We have an 11th hour God that we worship. <laughs> Can somebody testify to God showing up in their 11th hour? And you're like, oh, praise God, he didn't, oh my gosh, I didn't miss it. God still showed up in the 11th hour, he showed up. God seeks us out on purpose and for a purpose. And just, it's worth noting just a couple things about our 11th hour, God, okay? In this 11th hour, our level of desperation often equates to our level of gratitude. Have you noticed that in your life? I've noticed that in my life. The more desperate we are for God, the more desperate we need him to show up, 
When our God comes through in the 11th hour and he comes through, when he comes through for us, aren't you just overwhelmed with relief and joy and a heart filled with gratitude? These people drafted in the second, third, and fourth rounds of the vineyard, they must have been so excited. The 11th hour people being drafted, being like, at least something, at least I get to bring something home. I know, well, as Brian had said, we're moving. And so selling our house is really easy, all right? First day, our house sold. Buying a house, I never knew there were so many cash buyers in this world. All right, we have been outbid the entire month of May. I feel like I've been crying the entire month of May. We had to rehome all of our animals. I've been crying the whole month. Then we kept putting offers on homes that we never even got to look at. We only saw on videos and we were putting offers on homes and we kept getting outbid and outbid and outbid and our offer never got selected. I'm telling you, we went home, we were going out Memorial weekend. So we went out to, and this was like our last weekend that we're gonna go before we're actually moving out to Michigan. And I just remember we were like, Lord, we, we're really desperate for a home. Now I realize this is a first world problem. Okay, so I realized that in this story. But we were really desperate. Like we sold our home, we're moving. We, we really wanted our kids to feel planted. We really wanted a place to call home. And so we're like, Lord, would you bring us something? And wouldn't you know it, the day before we went out, a house came on the market and it's our house. <laughs> we bought it and they accepted our offer. We didn't get outbid by a cash buyer. Or maybe we did and the Lord called it anyway, gave it to us anyway. But, <laughs> but the, there was so much gratitude in our hearts. I'm glad that we actually missed the other houses because it created such a sense of excitement and gratitude. And then real quick, the other thing about the 11th hour is those who were the most desperate, they were the first to reap their reward. Isn't that interesting that Jesus arranged that in the parable this way? And I know desperation isn't a popular word, but actually the synonyms that go along with, with desperation are boldness, mm. outrageousness, extremeness. When was the last time you prayed with desperation? Mm. Such bold prayers with a level of outrageous faith that you ask the Lord for things. Mm. And you know what happened here? The Lord met their needs for the day. And that's my second point. We praise God for seeking us out, but we can trust God to meet our needs yeah. over and over again. Now, I believe Jesus picked this parable and specifically day laborers because of who he was talking about. Now we talk about, I told you how Jesus wants to engage people into these stories. So he's speaking to the disciples and there was a lot of hardship in Israel. They were under Roman occupied territory now. Rome taxed people between 50 and 70% of their income. And so, what was happening is when people couldn't pay the taxes, they would lose their land. Mm. And so now, many of the people in Israel were day laborers on Roman-occupied territory, in Roman-occupied land. They were day laborers on land that may have been theirs or their family inheritance at one point. And now, they were just desperate to get hired for the day to mm. meet their needs and to be paid. So Jesus used this in a specific way. This is really hitting home. And what he's saying here is listen, Rome may pay you something to work on the land and it may not meet your needs, but guess what? In this landowner, in the kingdom of heaven, this landowner, he gives you what you need. He paid you a day's wage, one denarius was enough for a family to meet the needs of a family. And he says, this landowner, in my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, you're gonna get what you need. Mm. This full day's work. And so Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father. Mm. 
He's revealing the heart of the Father to the people that he gives them just what they need. And you think of those people in the 11th hour, anyone actually who was hired after the first draft. You know what he's saying to them? I'm gonna give you not what you've earned and not what you deserve, but I'm gonna give you what you need. Mm. And I think the Lord is whispering that in our hearts very often. Becca, I'm not the kind of God who gives you what you've earned. I'm not the kind of God who gives you what you deserve. I'm the God who gives you what you need. That's what the Lord is saying to us today. I give you what you need. And what do we need? Listen to this. Close your eyes and let me just read this scripture over you. This is the Lord saying this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. We have not earned it, and we certainly don't deserve it, but Jesus is what we need. Jesus is what we need. This is our Lord who gives us what we need. Amen, amen. I love in this parable how the landowner hires people at 5 p.m., and uh, as you were saying that, you know, we might have some folks in the room or listening online who goes, yep, I was... I was found at 5 p.m., you know, at rock bottom. And then I also love that the landowner hires 5 p.m. workers. Mm. And there's there's a difference there because I would imagine that those 5 p.m. workers weren't chosen, maybe on purpose, because the first hour ones were maybe stronger, had had everything maybe more reliable. And so the 5 p.m. workers may have been there because, you know, they were overlooked Mm. on purpose. But I love that we have a landowner we have a God, we have a Jesus who comes to redeem and restore yes. all of us mm-hmm. and to welcome all of us, yes. wounds and scars and all, <laughs> warts and all, yeah. uh, to work for his kingdom. Yeah. And uh, so all of us are 5 p.m. workers mm-hmm. that yeah. Jesus came to save and redeem and welcome into his kingdom. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's the grace of God yeah. in your life. Yeah. And... Um, You'll experience more of the grace of God the more that you lay down your pride, Mm. right? And I've learned that in my own life is that the more that I'm willing to lay down my pride, I can do it, I know what's best. That's when more of the revelation of God's grace comes to fruition in my life. The the third thing that we wanted to petition, uh, we wanna challenge you with, charge you with is this. Celebrate Jesus in others. I want to commend you to celebrate Jesus in others. The workers here, the first workers got upset. Um, They didn't celebrate. They got upset. They began to talk badly. They began to question. They began to envy. They began to self-focus. They didn't celebrate. And I I want to encourage us to be people who celebrate Jesus in others. Wow, my friend, God is doing something powerful in your life. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. Instead of, God, why aren't you doing that in my life? (laughs) Why can't I do that? Why can't I have that gift? Why aren't you blessing me in that way? No, no, Lord, thank you for moving in my friend's life. I want to celebrate that. You know, comparison 
keeps us from celebration, keeps us from celebrating the goodness of God in other people's life. In the kingdom of God, competition rarely leads to transformation. Rarely leads to transformation. When we're so focused on, I've got to beat that person. I've got to get more than them. Even in the kingdom of God, we think this way, oh, if I could just, you know, save more people or if I could just be, have a yeah. bigger impact or my name and lights or something like that, oh, I'm going to beat that person. If I could win this argument if I could about win. faith and theology. And theology, yes. If I could be the one who knows everything, right? Like, um, no, like, Comparison, competition rarely leads to transformation. While all the workers were keeping score, the landowner was being outrageously generous. And it was a score that they couldn't even keep. He was being so, so generous. But what if, what if those workers, those early day workers, instead decided to think differently? What if they instead of getting bitter and envious and jealous, what if they instead said, wow, look at what the landowner has done. Hey, John, I'm so excited that you got what I got. I'm so, this is gonna bless your family. Wow, praise God for what he has done in your life. A a few things I wanna say about this. Um, Celebrate Jesus and others. Three things I wanna say to you. First is comparison is a robber. Comparison robs us of the revelation of God. You see, what these early workers did was they began to compare to what they got. And so all of a sudden they became self-focused. And what what happened in their comparison is they missed the revelation of the landowner. They missed the fact that he was generous. They missed the fact that he was filled with grace. They missed the fact that he had compassion on people. They missed the, the kingdom lesson that the landowner was more concerned with the worker than the work. They miss the revelation. And when we begin to compare with one another and we compare with all these different things, what that person got, what I got, we miss the revelation of our heavenly father. Yes. It can just fly right by us. The second thing I'll, I'll say into this is that comparison also robs us of joy. It robs us of joy. Comparison quickly turns to bitterness, to envy, and to jealousy. And and it robs us of joy. But when we choose to celebrate God and others, all of a sudden it brings joy to our lives. Celebration or comparison is a robber. Now, on the opposite, celebration is a transformer. Imagine celebration being like a transformer, like applying it into your life and it, it changes things, it, it shifts things. And so what celebration does is when you celebrate others, it transforms pride into humility. When you decide to celebrate others, it transforms selfishness into service. When you begin to celebrate somebody else, now all of a sudden you want to do everything you can to see them fulfill what God has called them to fulfill. Celebrating others transforms envy into gratitude. And celebrating others transforms our worry into worship. Mm-hmm. Why haven't I gotten that? Why haven't this happening? No, you celebrate it. Now all of a sudden you're, you're worshiping the Lord. Celebration is a transformer. Last thing I'll say into this, and then Becca's gonna share one more petition is this, is that celebrating others is life-changing. 
it'll change your life. It'll change your life. If you can have the perspective of, of looking to see how God is moving and you decide to celebrate that in other people's lives, even though that might be a desire in your own heart, but you're able to celebrate it in other people's lives, it will change your life mm-hmm. and it'll change the lives of others. When I did my doctoral dissertation, one of the, the things that I found, and I think one of the key things that I found is that honor brings healing. And what I discovered is that actually when you choose to honor somebody for their God-given gifts, for how God is moving in their life, it can bring physical healing to people, and it can also bring emotional healing, and it brings spiritual healing to a person's life. And every person on this planet, whether you think so or not, is hungering for honor, to be noticed. Uh, for somebody else to pull out the things of God in their life. Uh, when Beck and I were in Minnesota, I was a youth pastor at the time, and um, I was thinking about, I was, try, I was asking the Lord, show me somebody, just help me remember somebody who has really celebrated others well. And this person came to mind. I hope, I hope I can send this to her, actually, because she was a high school student, about 16 or 17 years old. Her name was Sarah Gaucher. And uh, Sarah was an unbelievably mature uh, uh, youth. And I remember Sarah was great at celebrating other people. I began to notice that in our youth group, more and more kids were serving. Kids were serving in the, in the band. Kids were serving at greeting time. Kids were serving, leading small groups. And I began to wonder, where are all these kids coming? I, I wish it was me. I wasn't asking them to do it, but somehow they were just wanting to serve. So I began to go up to them and ask hey, what, what got you to start serving? And, they, and, and all of them began to say, oh, well, well, Sarah encouraged me to do it. Sarah said to me, wow, you love the scriptures. You should, you should be a small groups leader. Hey, you love to serve. Come and join me as we go to the food bank. I mean, Sarah was a, a catalyst for our whole youth group because she took on this posture of not just saying, what's in it for me? but looking around and saying, Lord, where are you moving in other people's lives? Mm-hmm. And it changed people's lives. Yeah. When we learn to drop competition and pick up celebration, mm-hmm. we're gonna begin to enjoy transformation mm-hmm. in other people's lives and in our own life. Mm-hmm. So I wanna encourage you, have eyes to see where God is moving mm-hmm. in other people's lives. Yeah, it is hard when you read this parable to not, I mean, I remember the first time I read it, I'm like, that really isn't fair. Yeah. It, I'd be pretty upset if this happened to me. And I just remember the Lord impressing on my heart. And he's like, that's because you thought you were drafted first. <laughs> that's, good. that's good. Did you hear that? He's that like, was good. Humble yourself. I am teaching about the 11th hour draft picks. And that's you. Yeah. I don't and think there was a first pick. It, yeah, it wasn't. He yeah. was overly fair, wasn't yeah. he? He only seemed unfair. He was fair to the first workers. He was overly fair to everybody else. He is overly Mm. fair to each one of us. Well, our last charge and petition for the day. It's going to be kind of in your face, so I hope that's okay, because it's the last time I'm going to preach here. What are they going to do? Just go for it. Just go for it. (laughs) We'll clean up the mess later. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do it. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Get to work. Get to work to work. There is so much work to be done in the kingdom. God has not called us to be spectators. He has 
commanded us to be participants. He has commanded us to engage. We are called the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We need to start acting like it. I love verses six and seven. The landowner comes back, he says, why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? (laughs) And what do they say? Because no one's hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Mm -hmm. To every person who is hearing this, this is your command. We have no excuse anymore to say, nobody's hired me. Nobody asked me to serve. Nobody followed up with me. Jesus says to each one of us, you also go and work in my vineyard. There is so much work to be done in the kingdom. Every single person has been drafted to the vineyard to be fruitful, to labor for his kingdom, Mm. and to do wonderful things. I want to leave you with this story. And if you ever came while I was a connections coordinator at this church, you have heard this story at a newcomer's lunch. But it is one I will tell you because I want to leave it with you. It is about getting to work. So I grew up in a very small church and I went off to college out of state and uh, I got really serious with Jesus in college. I came back, started attending our church and I was really the only young adult in our church and I I was really lonely for Christian friends Mm. and I needed Christian community. And so I went to our pastor that I'd grown up with my whole life and I said, Pastor Rick, would you just, is it okay if I leave and go find another church? I just would love your blessing to go. I need community and I need friends. And he said, absolutely, Becca. He said, you do need that. You need community. We all need community. We need Christian community. This is probably a good place to pause and say Walnut Hill has a great young adult program. So yeah. if, you would, if you want to get involved, contact Brian Bergen, just a wonderful young adult. So yeah, anyway, go good. ahead. That's good. Good plug. Shameless yeah. plug. Yeah. Um, so he said, get involved. Uh, so he looked at me. He said, yes, you need that. But he said, promise me one thing, Becca. He said, promise me wherever you go, you're going to get involved right away. Mm. Do not just drift off into the back and be hidden in the back of one of these large sanctuaries. Get involved right away. So I promised him I would. Mm. Well, if any of you know what the Midwest is like, it's kind of like the Bible Belt, so there's mega churches on every corner. So it was kind of lonely. If you're new today, I know what you're going through. Plug in right away. So we're so glad you're here, and I hope Walnut Hill is your home church. But I, it took me about nine months to find a church, and I finally found a church And they had this kind of young adult, post-college, college service. So I went in on a Sunday morning and the worship blew my mind. Mm. It was amazing. There was like this band on stage with these amazing electric guitar players. And everyone in the band were like young adults and high school students and college students. It was incredible. It blew my mind. And so I went up to the worship leader and I just wanted to encourage him and thank him because it really moved me. I was so moved by the worship. Well, we got into this conversation. I thanked him for what he did. And then he asked me, he said, oh, so do you play any instruments? And I said, well, come on, everybody plays the guitar in college, right? <laughs> yeah, I play the guitar. And he said, well, do you sing? I said, yeah. Yeah, you know, I kind of grew up on the stage and grew up singing in church. You know, I can sing a little bit. And he said, oh, why don't you join the worship team and come back next week? And I'm telling you, my eyes must have been this big. <laughs> And I said, I don't know worship songs. I've never played in a band. He said, it doesn't matter. Here's some music. He photocopied off some music and gave me a CD. If you don't know what a CD is, ask your parents. <laughs> and 
And I listened to the music and I practiced in my apartment all week long and I showed up and I don't even think they plugged my guitar in, to be honest. I was like hiding behind some big speaker on the stage and he said to me at the end of it, he's like, you did a great job, Becca. Come back next week. Mm. So I went back next week. And then after the second week, he said, Becca, come on back. Come on back next week again. I started getting to know everybody there and I started getting to know the band members and people in the church and every week... For nine months, he asked me to come back. And every Sunday for nine months, I said yes. And do you know after the end of nine months, I ended up becoming the worship leader at that service. And two years after that, I left my corporate job and I became the worship leader at that church. (laughs) And I say all of this because by getting involved and committing, I was not waiting around for better plans to come up on a Sunday. I said yes Mm. And I showed up week after week when I felt completely unequipped. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, he kept moving me closer and closer to the front of the stage. I remember when there was a microphone in front of me one day, I was like, what's happening? I don't know what I'm doing. It was amazing. But when I said yes, God redirected the course of my life because of it. Mm. He completely does that. When we say yes, when we get in the vineyard, guess what? That's where the fruit is. The fruit's in the vineyard. It's not waiting around in the marketplace for you. Get involved. Get involved. And that could be get involved in a group. You might need recovery and care. We have Mm -hmm. cancer support. We have divorce care. We have CR, celebrate recovery. You will find community and restoration. We we want to be the most welcoming church. Walnut Hill, we need greeters. Mm. We need people who are going to welcome new people. We need people who are going to serve and love our kids and build into the next generation and change this nation for the name of Jesus because we invested in our youth. We need workers. There are workers to the vineyard. So get in the vineyard and get to work. Amen. <laughs> Good. Well... We're going to turn to to worship now, but before we do, uh, I did want to say um, thank you, Becca, and um, I'd like for us to thank Becca. I think she's one of the most gifted teachers that I've been around, and um, I just would love for you just to thank Becca for her her time. Now go put your guitar on. We've got to do some singing. Um, Stay standing. Um, I wrote at the top of my notes here, sometimes I give our messages titles, and and I don't know if this is a title or not, but this is what I wrote at the top, is grace does not keep score. And um, that's how I wanted to close today, is that grace does not keep score. Praise God. And I don't know what your sin score is. (laughs) Mine's pretty high. It doesn't matter, really, because grace doesn't keep score. Praise God. That the work of Jesus doesn't see an obstacle. The work of Jesus in our life sees a person who God loves and is ready to redeem and restore because grace does not keep score. Praise God. So I just want to pray right now as we go into this next song that really proclaims the name of Jesus. And I just want us, there's these moments where the Lord just blesses me, 
maybe you've experienced this too, with just a touch of understanding of the grace that I've received. And I'd love for us just to, to pray for that right now. Lord, that you might just give us a glimpse of the grace that we've received and that we might respond appropriately to that grace. And so, Lord, with, with our hearts just bowed before you, we ask, Lord, that you might give us a revelation of your grace. You've been so good to us. So good to us. That you've given us what we don't deserve. You've given us what we have not earned. But you've given out of your heart of love for us. And we're so thankful that your grace does not keep score. And that you are so generous to us. Oh Lord, right now, just in these just moments of silence before Beck and the team leads us, I pray that you might just speak to each individual heart and just reveal the grace that you've given us.